Climbs. Very special episode today because uh, we are embracing a small format change. Steven, who has uh, been with us for the first uh, 60-odd episodes, has had a baby recently. Uh, and because the very sensible thing to do is to prioritize your baby over your podcast, he is doing that. And we all wish him the best. We what all a wish loser. Him the best. What, a, what a fucking asshole. Punk fucking ass bitch. Abandoning, abandoning his his adult child for his... <laughs> for his uh, and, and the voice you hear uh, is a guest we have for today in uh, Stephen Stead. We have writer, filmmaker, podcaster, Peyton. Peyton Brock? Is Brock your real last name? Yeah, it is. All right. Do you mind being identified? We can boop this out if you... If you no, you can identify me. I'm online. I'm, you are. You do post your real name online. I'm, I'm is, logged. I'm logged on. You are braver. <laughs> you are much braver than me. I'm jacked in and jacked off. <laughs> and I am just jacked up. But on the show, I am, I am Alex. And yeah, I choose that relative bit of anonymity. I don't know why. For some reason, I feel like my takes are too spicy and it might get me in trouble at work, but not real. My takes aren't spicy. Well, I uh, mean, no, I mean, I get it. But I, I, my problem is I've been I've been cursed with being online since like, you know, since uh, <laughs> it's like elementary school. <laughs> that, since elementary. Wow. That is like sort of the big difference between between you and I. So so another piece of information is that. Uh, Peyton is 10 years younger than me to the day. Yes. Um, and so, uh, although, you know, it's like we, we had the same set of references, you know, we're watching the same YouTubes, we're reading the same Twitters. So, you know, we're in the same generation, but in many ways we're not as well. Yeah. Um, because you said elementary school there. You're, you've been online. You've had accounts on YouTube and social media since elementary school. Yeah, that- my, my original YouTube account uh, not the one that I still have videos. I, but my very first one I, that I posted videos publicly on, I think I started in fifth grade, fourth or fifth wow. grade. That's, that's crazy to me because those like, are all, those are all private videos now, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's literally hundred, a hundred plus, well, not, plus not hundreds, but over a hundred from like from like yeah fifth grade through maybe like very early high school just and then i kind of stopped with your friends or like because I've, yeah. I've seen some of your later work which is very uh you got to the point where you're like editing was very sophisticated and was like very uh like uh professional video essay uh you could like uh so it got to that point but uh you stopped doing it because like the youtube's it's a lot of effort for you know yeah well thank you uh the early stuff though yeah it was a lot of uh recorded straight off of like the the family computer webcam (laughs) me me talking about you know legos as well (laughs) but i mean i also did you know narrative stuff too where it was just like weird little plot lines and stuff with my action figures and stuffed animals and things like that that's of course that's a classic that's a classic thing to do uh you make a little movie you make a little movie on your family computer yeah you got you got creative juices but you got nowhere else to flow them you don't have i mean i guess the dream is to be like 
a John Waters type and cultivate like a collective of, of weirdos and, you know, yeah. have your very own Dreamlanders. I never found my very own Dreamlanders. I mean, some of the videos had, had, had friends, but a lot of them, you know, just, you know, being a kid, I wasn't, you know, it's not like I had just the access to, to friends as much as I wish I did. So a lot of it was just me on my own doing what I could on my own. Well, yeah, especially like like-minded friends who are into like, we're, we're film production people. The friends you probably met were just local people in the neighborhood, you know, who you yeah. had more of a geographic relationship with than anything. Yeah. Uh, at least that was my history doing you. So, so I think about it like Jake Paul and all of the, and these TikTok houses, they're the modern Dreamlanders. They're the modern John Waters. They're, they're making our freak magic. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. This is the worst take that's, imaginable. That's sad. That's this, is my, sad. this is my very bad take. Um, yeah. But yeah, because I didn't, I wasn't on social media until age 15. And that was fucking my space. That's, mm. that's, you know, that is the biggest point of how old I am is that I was on MySpace briefly, but I never got a taste for MySpace. It was really Facebook that started my journey on social media. And I remember when it first came out in 2005, we were like, what's this? It's like MySpace, but classy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had, a, I got a Facebook page around that same time as the YouTube um, mm -hmm. page as well. Mm hmm. And uh, like, I guess you'd have no point of comparison. Uh, do you remember what your brain was like before you were terminally online, like when you were eight years old? Uh, I mean, vaguely, yeah. <laughs> I remember the first thing I discovered. Uh, like, I remember the first uh, I remember my first experience with YouTube. Uh, at least my that? first memorable experience with YouTube was uh, going on YouTube and realizing, oh, wow, this is just a place where you can look up and watch videos. This was like 2009 or eight, maybe. Yes, yeah, uh, relatively into YouTube's infancy. Yeah. And it was uh, me looking up and watching all of um, uh, Gendy Tartakovsky's uh, Star Wars Clone Wars series you know oh, what i'm yeah. talking about yeah i know what you're talking about the, the 2d stylized yeah like, the, five minute yeah yeah the 2d animated like star wars shorts someone had like uploaded the entire d which is like you know like two hours mm -hmm. uh and it was like finding that online and being like wow you can just watch stuff for free on here it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah and where was it there did you like what like what creators would you follow when you're 10 years old like were you into uh, uh who who are your first introduction into youtube creators uh yeah i was into a lot of like uh into a lot of the lego uh stop motion stuff uh, yeah, there was yeah. this guy there was this guy called like uh forest fire something or other like 101 and he made like lego batman uh stop motion videos which were like legitimate i mean like they they must have taken a lot of effort because they were like you know hour you know not hour uh like 10 minute long like stop motion videos which is like mm. you know a lot of work but yeah it was like those and it was like you know they were really like very crass and juvenile humor like batman calling robin gay a bunch and stuff <laughs> uh well we're laughing we're still laughing at it and uh and uh so those and there were like all uh, another genre of stuff i watched a lot was like uh, and it's like it's definitely it was well like was I don't know if still is but like was a genre of like Mario plush 
narrative videos where people would take like their like Mario like plushes and figurines and stuff and make like these narrative storylines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as well as I remember this channel that I used to watch as as a kid uh, where they did this like live action Mario Brothers like series where it was like super involved like it had like seasons and they had like they had no i'm not i'm serious they had like a movie and like it was like they had all of these mario brothers characters as well as like snake from metal gear and like ness and donkey kong and wario it was and they had like a movie that was like a full like feature length movie but at that point on youtube it was like in parts because like the time limit on you could only yeah. upload like 10 minute or less videos so yeah it was like crazy involved like lore based uh mario stuff uh so yeah a lot of like weirdly theatrical like but still childish things mm-hmm. i because there's that thread of that all throughout the beginning of youtube because i'm i remember when that shit first came out in 2005 and like the biggest thing in the world was smosh smosh yeah, i i watched smosh a lot too up until like middle school yeah i mean nothing fine with the the beautiful emo boys that made broad nerd humor videos uh yeah yeah everybody to my mind they didn't get canned with anything they're not problematic are they no they're like still smosh is still like a channel but like the one guy left and it's still like ian the the other guy Mm -hmm. but now they also have like kind of like a they have like a, a repertoire of like players who like do skits and they have like uh, like a side like gameplay channel and stuff it's like it's very different from how it used to be it's very like uh i don't know it's it's a, it's a whole different thing but like it's still smosh technically yeah well that's a thing that happened that's a funny thing as youtube evolved um and you see this with so many uh content creators where because because youtube the thing which um gives it its its sense of uh, what makes it different than cable television or prestige television is that sense of authenticity. These people are creating something. There's a one-to-one relationship between the viewer and the creator. Um, and so conversely, once something gets too large and they start making money, uh, they alienate the audience because they're alienated from that authenticity. And you see it time and again. Uh, with sure. like uh, uh, Smosh, as we're talking about, you know, it went from them making charming videos in their bedroom to having this uh, militia of nerds and uh, Rooster Teeth. It happened to Rooster Teeth as Rooster Teeth got bigger and more unwieldy. It lost that sense yeah. of authenticity. It, uh, you know, you can see it with any of the big bread tubers too, who sort of yeah. get too big for their britches and then end up getting a lot of backlash. Uh, yeah you know a funny case with all this that that i that i think uh it's kind of like not it's kind of contrary to this because it was never small it started out as like a like you know corporatized like official business but like i i feel like through it it really taught me to like it really taught me a lot of like my values i have now of like man the the bosses at at businesses and corporations suck because they're just like you know fucking over the the actual people doing the work Mm -hmm. but um it was the channel that i literally watched from its like first day of inception uh the first very first day to its very last day was um source fed I don't know Source if you ever. Fed. I don't, yeah. I never. I I think it sounds familiar, but tell me, walk me through SourceFed. So it was like a, um, it was like a 
culture like comedy slash news type thing where it started out where they would post like multiple videos every day like short like five minute videos on like current event topics with like multiple hosts and it was just like them set against a white backdrop like kind of doing like jokes and and riffs on like uh on current events and over time it evolved and they still would do like one or two of those videos a day and then they had like extra things like podcasts and uh you know they branched off and had like a specifically like nerd based channel where they would you know focus on like pop culture news uh and a bunch of stuff like that it was it was it, it was actually like it spun off from from another embarrassing um thing i watched as a as a young person which was the uh, awful now i just I, I feel so ashamed but the like annoying dude bro centrist who was um and is uh you know philip defranco Oh, Philip Dufresne. Yeah, he has. He was the guy that pioneered having incredibly creepy ring light eyes. Yeah, uh, and he and and he had his like quote unquote news show that was like you know fifty percent him going like oh this is a let me read the events that, of this thing that happened that I'm totally just stealing from like some other news sources article and just retelling then going and what do you think because I like a conversation I don't like to take side he was like the ultimate centrist of yeah. like I like to be here both sides uh as <laughs> and, and and then like also being like here's a picture of a hot girl and a, and a kitten and a dog hugging that's pretty awesome yeah very reddit Dude. Shit. yeah extremely extremely um, like proto reddit shit but yeah exactly but source fed was like technically like Google, this was like 2012, Google was like, had some initiative to like start new YouTube channels and SourceFed was technically like his brainchild. It, he started it, but fairly towards the beginning, like only like a year or two and he sold it to Discovery, like Discovery ah. TV's like internet division, but then Discovery sold it. And so like over the course of SourceFed, these hosts would like legitimately be like putting in hard work, like people I really still enjoy, like, um, I don't know if you know Joe Beretta. He had his own channel called Barats and Beretta. Oh, I like do. I do know that guy. He, he does comedy funny sketches. Sketch yeah. yeah. He was, was that, on, I went on Space Mountain 17 yeah, yeah. times. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, they're fun. He was fun. on he was on SourceFed as like a host and writer for the videos. A guy named Steve Zaragoza, who I really like, Elliot Morgan, a bunch of people. Uh, and over time, like the roster changed as people kind came and went. But like they were just constantly like beleaguered with like you have to get this many videos out a day and you know or you know uh them being told like we're not getting enough views you have to completely switch it up and you know it changing business hands until ultimately kind of like out of the blue it was bought by some you know new corporation you know it changed hands again and they were just like completely fired kind of out of the blue and we're like yeah we're shutting you down you have a week <laughs> like uh <laughs> they got dead spin or cracked so yeah like, so it really instilled that kind of like wow these creative people are so you know they're working really hard and they're really funny and creative but they're like management and like the over you know the oversight on them they're real assholes who are who are yeah. fucking them over so that that kind of instilled that was a youtube uh event that instilled some instilled some values in me you got class consciousness as a result some class consciousness wait these workers these nerd workers are producing yeah. all the source material and then they're being profited off of by these fat cats, these these VC fat cats, yeah, these private yeah. equity jerks. Because that's the same. It, it was always like, were, did you were you into Cracked.com when it started being like a prestige humor magazine on the internet? No, that was uh, that was either. But I don't know. I'm not super familiar. That was too. With or, that would have been around 2006. So you would have been too. Young yeah, that was too. That was too before my time. But yeah. I was aware that it was like a thing. Yeah, and I, I knew of it. 
and it was it employed like a lot of very talented comedy writers. Uh, and then sometime around, I forget when it was, 2017 or 2018, same thing happened. Uh, some private equity people came in, realized that, oh, the thing that generates the most money for the site is the clickbait articles, uh, which we can pay you know, pennies on the dollar for compared to like the people that actually generate the really good video content. You know, mm. those are actually, uh, we crunch the numbers and those don't generate as much ad revenue per the writer's salaries. So we can shit can these people and still come out ahead. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, that was one decision. It was even weirder with like, do you remember what happened to Deadspin? No, not, not, I know it's like, it wasn't that like a, like a movie website or something. It was a sports website. It was the oh, hip sports. sports website. Oh, it was okay. the fun hip sports website where they would, they would talk about things other than sports, but they oh, were tangentially okay. related to sports. Kind of like a, uh, what's the one now? Um, SB Nation or whatever. SB it's kind of like the, uh, no, what is it? It's the one that uh, like uh, John Boyce and uh, other people work at. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, like the yeah. hip, like kind of hip, like uh, offbeat sports thing. I, if that's if that's the one, if the only the only connection I have to that is watching Felix Biederman's MMA documentary. So yeah, I, I think, think it's like through that and some other. Yeah, I think it's SB Nation then. Yeah, I think they do a lot of that kind of stuff. So <laughs> that's what Dead. Good... That's what Deadspin was. <laughs> Uh, Dead, yeah, so yeah, it was sort of like, but the appeal of the website, it, it was just amazing because the appeal with the website is the fact that they didn't write about sports. So they wrote about social issues surrounding sports. You know, that's what people subscribed to the website or clicked on the website in order to in order to get. And then when private equity came in, they were like, ah, stick to sports. And they ruined it. <laughs> they, they just had it tanked because sure. they just fundamentally didn't understand what was good about uh, the thing that they had acquired because sure. they were taking a very taking a very non-holistic attitude like uh, there is this thing that Frank Zappa once said uh, you know uh, Frank Zappa polarizing figure had many weird political takes sort of a libertarian crank but he always <laughs> yeah, had this yeah. insight which I always thought was pretty interesting talking about the difference between how music got produced in the 60s and the 80s and he said in the 60s um, what music executives were, were a bunch of old cigar chomping guys who were like, look, I don't know what kids like. So we're just going to invest in a lot of stuff and see what sticks. That was basically the idea is like, we're going to have a wide variety of stuff that we invest in just so uh, like, cause we don't know what's going to be the future. And there could be anything could happen and something unexpected could get popular in the eighties it switched to MBAs, you know, guys with, uh, guys with business degrees who were like, uh, and who were also, you know, children of the sixties and who were right. like, who were, who were yuppies that had been the pa children of hippies. Patrick Bateman. Yeah. Types. Patrick Bateman types. It's precisely yeah. Patrick Bateman types were like, I know what the kids like yeah. and we can focus group music in order to, uh, create something, uh, which is market tested to be the most profitable thing imaginable. So it right. became less about investing in a variety of stuff and more about uh, investing in a monoculture uh, mm. in order to generate the most profit off of single events. And you see this with movies too. You know, you see this with the stratification of the box office, you know, how Marvel reigns supreme. And then, you know, there's a bunch of A24 movies. Whereas, you know, in the seventies, there was a bunch of like mid-budget movies dominated the top box office. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's lamentable, I don't think it's necessarily lamentable. It's just like a different 
It's just a different mode that culture operates in now. Mm -hmm. um, but it is certainly more difficult for artists to make a living so, than it was in the 60s. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe well, it wasn't. I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, we do have like Patreon and stuff now, but who knows if that's actually, you know, mm -hmm. better or what, or yeah. just the, the appearance of, of freedom. I don't know. Yeah, I wish I ain't, I... I ain't making much money right now. <laughs> no, I mean, I am making after like 10 years in eternity, after graduating from college when I was 21, it took me um, until age 28 to make a living wage. <laughs> so, and that was after I had gone to law school after that as well in order to oh, really? be a lawyer. And then I had a nervous breakdown and couldn't be a lawyer. And now I have but because of the stupid lawyer credentials, I was able to get a uh, an, an admin job that oh, okay. actually pays a living wage, which was amazing to me because I had gone my entire adult life without one. It, it, mm. this, this, and I live in Toronto, so half my rent is still going, half my paycheck is still going to rent. Rent, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but um, just the fact that I can live in like 500 square feet in a city is a fucking miracle to me. And sometimes <laughs> I think, ah, maybe this shouldn't feel like a fucking miracle to me. And yeah. <laughs> from what I hear from, from stuff on the ground, from people your age, it's even worse. It's much worse than yeah. it was when I was getting out of college. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I definitely think it is. And I probably, if I really wanted, I mean, I, I feel like if I if I kept trying, let me first say the last up until about uh, a month ago, I was like just looking for like part time, you know, minimum wage type work. I was specifically looking for like anything but your typical like, you know, fast food customer service. Yeah. But, you know, in that I looked at like, you know, over, you know, working in the stocking department at, yeah. a, at, at a hardware store, you know, still, still very like, you know, I, I wasn't like expecting to get super, you know, or I was looking at like at a local university, I entered their like temp pool to be like, you know, an office assistant, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I heard yeah. like multiple, like, three or four months of just like nothing getting rejected. I, I applied for a library, a local library that needed a, um, I talked about this on my podcast at one point, I, I applied for a local library that wanted a part-time like circulation clerk for the desk. Yeah. Um, and they, they were like, well, we saw that, you know, you just graduated college and do you think you're going to be here, you know, over a year? And I said, well, I'm not sure. I'm, I'll probably be here for at least six months, if, if not more though. And they said, oh, actually we want, we're wanting someone who can dedicate, you know, com commit to at least a year or more. And this was for a, like minimum wage job that they wanted to do like 26 hours a week. And they wanted someone to commit for over a year of their life to be able to do this. Yeah. It's like insane. And that's how bad the job market is that that's not an unreasonable request for them. Someone can I, fulfill I, that role. I maybe. guess not. And like, you know, I feel like if I kept at it, I probably could, could, I think at least fairly quickly, uh, not, you know, in the next, you know, year or two, find a sustainable, like livable 
wage job, but it would be something completely outside of what I actually want to try to do. Um, and it would have to be here. Like I'm, I'm currently like in, in South Carolina in the upstate and like, I bet I could find some sort of local thing where I'm using my, you know, dramatic writing degree instead of, you know, writing fiction or nonfiction, it would be like some completely, you know, mindless thing like yeah, you know grant writing or something yeah or like or or some sort of advertising or marketing you mm-hmm. know it would be something that i would hate and you know go to myrtle beach and work for work for jackson yeah. and jackson uh yeah. long longboard advertising I'd have and then idea. like and then like you know it's not like it's amazing but i'm sure i could get a decently you know place with a decent rent um here and um and, you know, I could probably do okay, but I, I'm shooting myself in the foot because at this, at the moment, I'm planning on making the jump to LA, hopefully at the beginning of this coming year mm. and uh, continuing to try to seek my fortune and getting a foot in the door with an internship or, you know, whatever assistant position in, you know, the, 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 the uh, entertainment industry, since I want to write for, uh, for, since I've demented enough to want to write for, for film and TV. That's exactly what I did, except I moved to New York. I moved to New York, which um, uh, I did. I did through law school. Um, my, my story was a little different. The primary reason why I went to law school in New York was just to keep my visa because mm. uh, could get hired with my uh, yeah. music degree. <laughs> so Wait, so was, you went from you went from music degree to law school. Yeah, I went from music degree to law school. Huh. Um, but, you know, uh, for for me, uh, for law school, um, what it is for a lot of people that are there is I'm a humanities major that can't get a job. Please allow me to be in the womb of academia for another for another yeah. three years. And um, if you can afford it, um, it's it's good for that to some degree. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's why I didn't continue law school in America, because I lost my scholarship after doing very poorly. Uh, and, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm someone who actually really likes like school and like academia. And oh, I, func- I love school. I function very well within like a regimented like school environment where I have like tasks that I have to meet and expectations under like guidance. So I would probably love grad school to do like writing or film grad school, but the, I just don't have the money and I don't think it would be worth it to yeah. go into even further debt. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, like if you're going to go into further debt, you want you want the guaranteed job, which to some which degree, I wouldn't have. Yeah. Law school, law school will get you that people. Oh, yeah. Uh, people are you can get decent uh, high level admin jobs with just a law degree, although it's sort of like it's sort of overkill for that. Uh, mm-hmm. Even or but, you know, I don't know, like being a lawyer, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. I deluded myself into thinking that I was a lawyer, uh, but the end of the day i hate conflict too much it's uh, really weird to be a lawyer that hates conflict you know fair yeah, yeah. uh don't yell at me that's what i would <laughs> be saying to the other side my defense is you're being very rude to stop, me stop stop being so mean stop being mean you're being mean exactly. yeah sure he's well ju- he's using he's using the meanness defense there's nothing we can do yeah um the best fucking lawyer we've ever seen yeah my, my my hopefully uh, my golden goose that I'm I'm hoping and trying to bank on with getting into the entertainment industry is the fact 
It's the most cynical ploy that like I get self-conscious about because I, a lot of times I get self-conscious and worry that people think that I'm like identifying as this only so that I can try to get this benefit. But I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm banking on my fact that I identify as a trans woman to, I need, I'm trying, I'm, I'm really going after those diversity internships. But, but I, I would be lying if I didn't say like, I do, I'm in constant like paranoia that like people in my life and people that I know think that I, you know, came out and identify as trans only for like the, you know, minority status benefit of it, which is Are not you, the you, truth. You're trans just for the jokes, you know? I'm, I, I, I am deaf. I, I, trust me, all of the, all of the internal turmoil and anguish that I feel within my mind and, and fear that I feel in public of worrying of whether or not I can walk into this place without being hate crimed. Uh, I would, I would 100% just prefer to be uh, cis, despite its disadvantages. Yeah, it's not worth it. It's not, no one. Listen, Hollywood is still, it's not that much of an advantage. (laughs) Yeah. You don't, I mean, that was always like, that's always the fucking, the weirdest turf line is like, oh, this is just another example of of a male privilege. No, you give up all of that. That's it's yeah, totally like, gone. And you're even you're off even worse than a cis woman. It's like yeah, but, last you know, night it's your shot at happiness. I was going over to uh, my friend Austin, as featured on my podcast, Explain mm-hmm. Austin, my co-host. Uh, I was going over to hang out with him and some other people at his house. And on the way, I was going to stop and get some form of uh, alcohol beverage. Except uh, both. Uh, convenience stores that I pulled into the parking lot on the way to his house I I saw like you know the the types of cars with the types of stickers on them outside and looked through the window and thought "Mm, there's like a 50% chance I would die if I walked in there dressed as I am like a woman so I'm gonna just not get alcohol and just go to Austin's yeah because convenience stores are one of the worst places because it's like it's so small you don't have like the space and kind of like privacy of a grocery store where you can kind of keep to yourself it's so like small and contained it's like a it's like a caged match yeah you got to consider you got to consider that it's just stuff that you people take for granted in regular life i mean uh is it specific to the area you're in do you think you'd feel more uh, comfortable if you like say you were in uh, a city with like in a queer village in a city I mean you know I feel cynical thinking this sometimes but I mean I, I would be lying if I didn't say there's some truth to like yeah I probably would feel more comfortable if I was in like a super like lib city or a super lib area of a lib city Hence you know LA, like you know and yeah LA or New York or or whatever or Austin <laughs> yeah. or you know whatever I mean there is some truth to that you know once you get under that uh under that veneer yeah still it's still as exploitative and, and terrible as everywhere else but there is something to be said for it's like baseline kind of like uh their their favorite word like civility um i mean uh, there's just more of it there so people often are um they're less reactive to it because they've experienced it before yeah and you don't see as many uh you know guys with uh you know lifted trucks with uh blue live matters and <laughs> and and like punisher skull you know but stickers on their truck on their lifted truck window and you know with a with a shaved head and you're wondering are, are they going bald or are they a nazi <laughs> <laughs> what's funny is these guys are everywhere um, yeah 
these, the, these guys are in Ontario too. You just go, you go two hours outside of Toronto and you find these guys. You find guys in Ontario with Confederate flags on their cars. Really? Bitch, in, yeah, bitch, you're in Canada. But people wow. will still have, I mean, because they love the Duke boys. I think okay, well I think know, usually that's the explanation is I'm I'm from this I'm from the seat of uh of of secession itself South Carolina so <laughs> I see I see plenty of uh confederate here it's bare like up until like a couple years ago I remember where there was the whole thing specifically about the South Carolina state house because we like the state house here had the confederate flag like flying at it still (laughs) until like a couple years ago when it was like a big thing and it got removed but like up until then like it was just like a completely like it was not even like a a, a, it was like an innocuous thing almost the confederate flag and i mean it still is to some degree you still see it everywhere absolutely i mean look at uh it's uh, look at leonard skinner right beloved beloved voice of the south you know if you investigated uh, Ronnie Van Zant, I'm sure you'd find he wasn't he wasn't like an overtly racist type of dude, but they were lar- very responsible for being like the Confederate flag is nothing more than a symbol of Southern good times. Yeah, not, it's not a symbol of slavery, you know, because um, people don't want to contend with the fact that other people might feel differently. Yeah, I mean, it. at my high school, I would have we had I mean, like just super, you know, normal not even an issue to have guys wearing like shirts with like confederate flags on them or you know a part of the design uh just a normal thing like you know not even a not even an issue have you heard have you heard the greatest song of all time brad paisley's accidental racist um is that the one with where he had i i can't remember who it is but it's like flow rider or someone cool j yeah and he's like he's like If you don't diss my gold chains, then I ain't diss your Confederate flag or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I'll forgive the iron chains if you forgive the gold chains or something. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. What? The, like what? The yeah, hell? I mean, LLPJ votes Republican, but it's like, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing song because it starts off with, um, "Well, when I walked in at Starbucks down on Main, uh, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm just a Skinnerd fan. You know, oh my <laughs> that's God. like that's a line. It's like I'm just a Skinnerd fan. I, yeah, I, I I don't know what this flag means to other people. I would also have. Uh, there were also guys at my high school who would come to school dressed in like full, like they just got back from hunting that like early morning, like full camo, like hunting, like fatigues, basically. Uh, oh, yeah. like, like they were out in the they were out in the bush that morning out in the woods hunting, mm. hunting some deer uh well that i don't that i i don't that part of the culture seems okay that's no i mean it's fine it. with me it's just the fact that like that's just to give some well it it's really weird where i grew up because i'm in the town or right now i'm right next to it but i i grew up like basically it's in the town of one of south carolina's like top like main universities public right. universities one of the two which so it's like very like the town itself you know a lot of college students a lot of whom are from out of state a lot of yeah, you know pretty very lib lib and like academic like type professor you know family people Coffee but then shops, literally no record stores unfortunately but plenty of <laughs> plenty of coffee shops it's it's still a very small town yeah. but it's like a university small town but then literally like 10 minutes outside and you're like in like rural like small town that only has like a dollar general and a gas station you know yeah. type places so it's very it was just my high school was a weird dichotomy of you know 
oh, the, the, the bottom 50% of my class's average was a B. That's how competitive my, my class was at high school, because mm -hmm. like, literally like, it, it's like the most competitive, you know, student base, uh, but, but at the All same time, professors and stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but also, you know, we, you know, are in like rural South Carolina. And, you know, like I said, you know, guys would come straight to school from, from their hunting trips. Mm-hmm. Well, I, so that is when people say that the Confederate flag is cultural, obviously not defending it. I don't think it should be displayed publicly anywhere, or, you know, kept on any sort of government, anything. But when you talk about that sort of innocent misunderstanding of, I didn't know it was, I didn't know it was racist. You know, I thought it just meant, you know, good times at the beach, you know, I thought yeah. it was. I do think those people actually believe that. I don't think, so it's like, yeah. and so when you assign the malice to them, the malice to their ignorance, I, I don't know where I'm going with this really, well, but it's just, it's something uncomfortable you have to deal with that sometimes I'll, people do bad things, but they, it really is, they are doing it for innocent reasons. I'll say that the people like from my school that I, that, you know, I would know who would wear that kind of thing. They wouldn't be, uh, they're, they're aware that like some people that, you know, that people, the, there's a group of people who find it like racist, but they don't, they like just simply, they don't believe that or either like that or they don't care. And like the, yeah. it's like the triggering the libs, the more that they're told that it's racist, the more they want to wear it. Yeah. Like it, it's that type of person where it's a little more malicious, where it's almost, you know, it's that like, you know, fuck you, I'm, I'm going to do what I want type, yeah. type of thing. That's the same reason why, like, you know, there were tons of people in my high school, you know, who, who were super into Trump and, and, you know, all into that election with wanting to vote for him because they simply liked him because, you know, oh, he's epic and he's, oh, he's triggering savage. all the, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's, he's triggering all these people. Oh, it's so he's such a troll. That's a very teenage mentality. And that's what I was oh, yeah. like when I was a teenager, because I was on, I was on original 4chan too, which was, oh, yeah. Yeah, for because wow. 4chan didn't used to be a Nazi website. It was like anime and shit. Right? Yeah, it was anime, and the only political position it had was Scientology was bad, and that's what <laughs> and atheism, atheism cool, and atheism cool, and you know it was doing like a racist pranks at Habbo Hotel, but in that very early internet, you know this is just, uh, just to like offend people. Yeah, yeah, this isn't indicative of a larger structural racism. But yeah. it turns out if you keep making ironic racist jokes long enough, the real racists come and they overwhelm everything and, you know, it ruins it. So, sure. but it, there was a good four years where it was um, relatively innocuous. Sure. Um, but yeah, that was the, that was, that was the goal too, you know, just to shock and to offend and to be like, uh, subject yourself to the worst things imaginable because it proved your, yeah, it, it's sort of like fight club, you know, you're <laughs> yeah. not, you're not experiencing uh, real emotion through physical pain, but rather through by cringing at tub girl or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. My, my high school, like my, my high school, like attitude and beliefs were pretty weird. Cause I feel like there was like, I feel like there was a brief moment uh, in like the 2016 election specifically, like the primaries where I was like, I was like pretty to, to use cringy, you know, like modern, lingo i was pretty based for a minute there where i was <laughs> he got where, a little based 
where I was like, where I was like, you know, oh, you know, Bernie's cool. And I was like making fun of Hillary. I even drew like, a, I remember specifically, I was in my German class in high school because I took German and I was in my class and I drew, I was, I drew like this stupid comic where it was like, you know, like politician manufacturing center or something. And it was like Ted Cruz and Hillary Clinton, both being like manufactured by like a reptile man. Yeah. And I showed it to my friend and she was like, how dare you shouldn't say that about Hillary Clinton. That's uh, that's being misogynist. She's, she's, she's <laughs> to compare her to Ted Cruz is awful. And, and I think from that moment kind of onward, I, 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 uh, I uh, developed kind of terminal uh, like lib brain for like the rest of the like 2016 election where like, you know, I was, I was like, Oh, you, you know, if you don't support Hillary, you're, you know, you're a, you're a racist. And, you know, like, uh, you know, I was yeah. like, you know, super Lesser upset. I was like right. super upset when Hillary lost. And I was like, Oh, you know, she should have won. She would have been great. And it wasn't until like, uh, you know, once I got, that was like senior year of high school. And then like, kind of once I started college, I really started going down the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Marxist path and then started, uh, hill, yeah. 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 <laughs> once you got to college, the goddamn postmodern neo-Marxist nope. got to. I, I, I am, I am a fucking poster child for like the, the corrupting influence of like the, the liberal college Marxist, because like I went into college and I came out, you know, I went from being just kind of your like milk toast lib to coming out of college like full on like you know Marxist communist trans yeah. woman. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's just like those cartoons that Ben Garrison makes now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would be a perfect target, you know, nah. the feminized, yeah, the f- f- feminized sissy communist. <laughs> I got, I got soy, I got soy boyed. Soy uh. got me. <laughs> Uh, they kept serving soy in the cafeteria. Listen, if it really did make you feminine, I would be eating that shit like. Oh my god! Crazy, but going, unfortunately, going up all next to the five G towers. You know. Yeah, I, I was just praying when I got my vaccine that it would force feminize <laughs> me. I would love, I would love to, to, to get to be, you know, look even more, you know, feminine without any sort of surgery or hormones. I can't imagine how disappointing it must be to be like a trans QAnon person and to be like constantly going up to 5G, 5Gs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, it's it just, uh, it won't work. It won't yep. work. Um, yeah. I wonder if there's, how many trans QAnon people do you think there are? There must be well, at least a couple. Well, what I've seen in terms of like the the political makeup of trans people is there's like three types. So you're either like me, you're like full on like hardcore, uh, you know, communist or anarchist. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, you're kind of like, you know, sort of like lib, uh, lib soak, like, you know, democratic socialist type, you know, you, you have some political, you know, radical leanings, but you're still very much like, you know, uh entrenched in the system and you're going to defend you know yeah you like movies too much to violent (laughs) revolution (laughs) and then and then there's your third type of trans person which is like they have like anime profile picture they're like full-on like nazi like trad wife aspiring like you know they're they they might be your they they would be your QAnon trans it's weird because it's like this dichotomy where there's no real like kind of like centrist or like you know like just kind of like baseline lib trans people it's like slight radical leanings extreme radical left leanings or extreme radical right leanings. yeah 
Well, there's one, and it's Charlotte Clymer. But in order, oh, to, yeah. in order to be that, you have to kill 70 people. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's she. That's she's a takes. special case. She she's very she's an interesting figure. She she is the she's like the she's like the dark Chelsea Clinton Chelsea Clinton uh, not Chelsea Clinton uh, what's her name uh, Chelsea Manning yeah Chelsea Manning yeah oh yeah. god I can't believe I called her Chelsea Clinton I'm so sorry yeah uh, she's like the dark Chelsea Manning Chelsea, Charlotte Clymer Chelsea no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry no, uh, uh Chelsea the it's like dark. for every Chelsea for every Clinton Chelsea Manning there's a dark there's like Charlotte Clymer oh no it's hard to think um. Did you ever hear about Reality Winner? Uh, no, I don't think so. Reality Winner, a weird name. <laughs> yeah, it's like Yahoo. Is that a person? Is that a? Is that a? Is that a person? A, oh, I thought she it was, was like a, a game show. She was a uh, uh, whistleblower in the vein of Chelsea Manning, uh-huh. but uh, and she was imprisoned for it, and uh, mm. I think she was associated with the Intercept a lot as well. The issue is she also has 600 confirmed kills uh, as a carpet bomber. So that is a little problematic. But what can you do? All right, it seems... Oh, no. You oh, froze. You're back. I froze, but I was yeah, just talking f- about reality winner. You, you, has... you, you, you froze as soon as you started talking about it. So I heard nothing. All I, all you need. Are you, to know, I heard the intercept, and that was it. Associated with the intercept, she also has 600 confirmed kills as a oh, carpet wow. bomber. So it's like, whoa. I'm not saying you should imprison people for leaking information, but sometimes, or imprison people in general. But 600's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. a lot of people. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's sort of weird to become that uh, centrist, that centrist queer person. You know, I'm trying to think of, like, the gay equivalents to that, who are like, uh, I guess Pete Buttigieg is the Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah the ultimate uh, uh, gay centrist, you know, volunteers yeah. to go into the army, you know, works for McKinsey and fixes bread prices in Canada. Right. Uh, nothing particularly outwardly gay about him. Yeah. I, he, he delegates that to Chasen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ch- Chaston. Chaston. This is the most like white, like dude name ever. Like it's just like a made up amalgam of multiple different names. Like you have like, like, uh, you know, Chase and you have like Kristen for some reason. And you have like, uh, you know, uh, Chaston. Austin it's like, and Aston. Yeah, Austin and Aston. It's just Chaston. It's just like, a, it's like an amalgam. It's like a homunculus of, uh, of white man names. Yeah, you know that meme where it's the board of like the incredibly white lady choosing names like Mc- McKinla or like Lacken, <laughs> yeah, or or Cup Cupberta or something like that. Yeah, yeah, right. So um, yeah, it's weird that uh, there's lots of jokes about black people naming their kids weird when white people names are just as fucking weird and in a lot yeah. of cases even weirder. So from being from the south, I I don't know if this is just like a southern thing. I think it might be uh, the big thing the last like. 20 years and continuing to now uh, has been and continues to be it's the uh person like naming your child and they go by first and middle name so it's like your your uh casey grace 
or uh you know Casey Grace yeah it's, yeah, yeah it's that kind of shit okay. it's like and you have the monogram you have the big monogram you know on the back of your on the back of your you know whatever right. car window and you know it's like you're yeah it's your very like southern kind of southern uh living magazine kind of <laughs> look it was a plantation but it's still nice. It's still beautiful. Look. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, wedding, wedding at the plantation. Uh, but that's a thing. They love doing. Oh that. no, it is. It is. There's like a. I've been. There's like a, like, <laughs> literally next town over. There's like a preserved, like historical, like plantation that is you that you can like rent out for stuff. <laughs> We're having a gender reveal party at the plantation. I actually went there. I was in a local community theater production of. And in like middle school, I was in a local community theater production of Tom Sawyer. And we we shot like, I guess, like a little like promo thing to like air on like public, like local TV. Mm-hmm. And like we went and shot it there where it was, it was like just like the cast, like kind of like fucking around outside there. And it's like, come see Tom Sawyer at the, at the local speed. <laughs> I, I my played... friend. His name is dot, 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 Jim. His yeah. name is Jim. I played a. Just in case you're curious, I played Tom Sawyer's little uh, shithead narc brother, who's oh. like the the annoying like uh, like know it all brother to Tom Sawyer, the goody goody boy. Yeah, there you go. The I goody goody remember. treat boy. <laughs> my my roles in in I'm trying to remember my my roles in theater in youth theater, in just various uh-huh. uh, supporting characters in West Side Story or something. Like <laughs> you paint you, did you paint your face red to be Puerto Rican. <laughs> Uh, no, no, I wasn't cast as one. Of, although, yeah, that is weird. Um, I mean, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember hey, who were playing hey, mommy, Puerto Rican. Come here, Woo-hoo. hey, mommy. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, an overzealous theater director, <laughs> like doing heavy accent coaching on West Side Story. <laughs> yeah, so you're going to want to hear it like this, like this. I'm sorry. I come to America to make my dream come true, mommy. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Whitmer, why are you yeah. talking like that? You don't understand. You not talk like you gotta talk like you gotta leave the, the, the direct the director is in character, even though he's just the director, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's doing a character mash, for no reason. Mash my energy, okay? Yeah. I have to mash my <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh all of the Hispanic kids are getting incredibly offended. Yeah. As as if there would be a, he only he only cast white kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of the yeah, all of the there were there were ample rejected. amount of Latino kids who who auditioned, but he only cast white kids. Yeah, because they just felt the role better. You know, they just got it. You know, they got the sharks more. Yeah, they wanted. Oh my god! Um, yeah. I'm sure that has happened. I'm sure. Oh, definitely. That is like that's a great joke. And have you ever seen the sitcom Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment Twenty Three? uh no that's the one with like uh Kristen Ritter and Eric Andre right yeah Kristen Ritter Eric Andre James Vanderbeek right uh, right Dreamo Walker and it is shockingly good it's a huh. shockingly good sitcom um but there's a, an amazing joke in it where James Vanderbeek reveals that he was in an all-white version of Raisin in the Sun <laughs> the first time wow. I heard that <laughs> that's funny yeah that's <laughs> good dry heaving laughing <laughs> it is extremely funny to me that's funny. Um, uh, underrated underrated sitcom don't trust to be in apartment 23 very very workmanlike but like a lot of uh, very good jokes per minute ratio very good successful jokes per minute ratio that's good. um you've I'll been seeing check any, it out you've been seeing any movies seeing any shows lately 
Uh, well, I saw the Green Knight on Friday. Ooh, and I enjoyed I've that. Heard good thing. I've I I put a I put this on like Letterbox and Twitter, but I was I really enjoyed it. But I said, if you're not familiar, I I feel bad for those not familiar with David Lowry's movies because you know going in expecting like a like an action adventure, you know, with like sword fights and stuff. When when what they get very apropos to Lowry's you know style is like two hours of like slow ethereal contemplative Arthurian vibes yeah 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 very like lots of gray vistas of England looking it's beautiful as hell it's great yeah but uh it's it's really great I really enjoyed it but it's very much not like that there's not even a single you know sword fight oh oh no but Dev Patel is just incredibly hot oh dude he well in the movies just about like yo this dude is so fucking hot it just and he's such a fuck boy it keeps fucking over his life that's literally (laughs) what that's literally what Sir Gawain's like story is about uh so I saw that and I enjoyed it um in terms of shows, I've been watching through uh, all of Seinfeld. I'm on season really? eight right now. Did I love you, Seinfeld. So, so does it date as much for? Because I tried to watch it again recently, um, and I guess it doesn't date as poorly as other stuff from that era, like Friends. And uh... well, I, I can say that I've, I've, what I've seen of Friends, I've, I've never particularly enjoyed. I've always find it kind of, kind of obnoxious and like. I like Seinfeld because like all of the characters are so like explicitly pieces of shit. Yeah. Uh, that, that's why while friends is like, it, it almost like it thinks the show itself thinks they're good people. Uh, yeah. That's a problem. But I mean, there's certainly dated aspects of Seinfeld, but like it's core, like sensibility is very modern still. Yeah. It's very like, it's obviously it's always sunny is kind of like the modern progenitor to, yeah. uh, to Seinfeld. Um, but uh, so that I've been watching, I've been watching Star Trek The Next Generation through. So you're in full 90s. This is like the era I, that I, guess I, so. was, I was a child. I see. I was seeing these shows as they came out, which yeah, is, I which guess is so. interesting. Um, I'm on season four of TNG right now. And I just finished the episode. Have you seen you've watched Star Trek? I've Next watched Generation? I've watched pretty much all of it. I can recall some of like the bigger episodes. Uh, I watched I just watched this. Ep- I love well, I love how like it kind of is like 50 50 on each episode of whether they remember the prime directive exists or not um, <laughs> yeah. like the one i just watched some some ship crashes or like they find like a they find like a, a ship with a distress call and it's some like alien race that the show hasn't encountered before but it's like a well-known one but like among and it's all like teenagers on the ship but among them there's like one human child who like is like he says he's like part of them and he's like one of them and everything and mm-hmm. he doesn't identify as human basically and you find out that like as a child his colony was attacked by that race and he was basically taken from infancy and raised and like you know treated as one of those and his dad is like the commander of the ship that comes to rendezvous and take the kids back but like Picard's like no we're not giving him to you he's a he's a human he's part of the federation he he's not yours and it's like up until the very end is it finally is is Picard finally like actually we've realized that maybe what is most important is what he wants which is to return to you his father and and it's like yeah no shit like why would you want to take him like that's his whole life just because he's like human species you want to like fucking what are you going to make Worf like go back to the Klingons. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean that that's the thing with the show is like um so th- there's an inherent contradiction with Star Trek the next generation, which is they're in this like utopian post-scarcity future. Right. Um so logically 
there should really be no moral conflict. And like, there should be like, they should have like all of these precepts worked out, but you know, sure. there's well, like the pro- 70 corrupt admirals throughout the show. They're well, breaking- and then you have all of these, uh, all of these like secondary race, you know, not secondary, but like church, you know, side, you know, societies of aliens that are like not part of the federation who don't yeah. follow the you know egalitarian rules and all that yeah and so yeah i mean that's often a debate is like is is star trek like the prime directive is a way for them to get out of colonialism but because they break it every other episode it's like <laughs> oh this is just space colonialism yeah. uh, um i so i mean i still enjoy it though i just find that you know kind of logic funny a little sometimes yeah. And then to round out my 90s uh, watching I've been doing recently, I've, I've, I've been watching through um, Cowboy Bebop. Oh, hell the- yeah. Hell yeah. Wonderful. So I'm almost through with that. I have like the last two of like the series and then I'll watch the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so with with that, I can finally concede that, OK, there are two good animes because I, <laughs> I, I used to be of mine. Not an they- anime fan. I used to be of the mind that there's only one good anime and that it's Evangelion. <laughs> uh, oh, but okay. but now but now uh, Cowboy Bebop. I and I'm mostly being facetious because I've actually been watching this other anime that's uh, it's the most endearing, wholesome uh, thing in the world that that makes me incredibly happy to watch. It's called it's a it's it's um it's a anime based off the the Sanrio character who like they do like Hello Kitty and all that. Oh, it's a it's uh Oni Guy My Melody. Oni it's Guy about, My Melody. Okay. It's about My Melody, who's like the little like she, you, you'd probably recognize. She's like the bunny, and she has like the pink hat. That's yeah, like I, know, I know that. I know that bunny. So uh, that's yeah. I've been watching that anime, and it's uh, it's very charming and cute while also having some some solid like jokes and stuff mm-hmm. uh it's very wholesome and nice and it it, it can it makes me feel like i'm connected with my femininity <laughs> San, San has been knocking it out of the park like because agretzico was very popular and that's when oh yeah I, I i've never watched it but i remember it being that's the one on netflix with like the the fox or whatever yeah she, she's the yeah the the fox who's uh, uh permanently uh downwardly mobile working girl in Japan yeah, and yeah. who sings death metal at night at karaoke and I'll have to watch that. That her. that sounds good, honestly. It's very much like Sanrio is trying to have like a mascot for the millennial Zoomer experience of just being shat on at work constantly. Yeah. Uh that's good. And it's it's kind of, it's a downer though, I'm sure compared to what you're watching. That's oh, yeah, that, uh my melody is very like upbeat happy. Yeah. I, I don't know if you I don't know what is defined as an anime either. Are what's the is Avatar the Last Airbender an anime? It's an anime, damn it. I, I've never considered it an anime because it's like from American creators who are yeah. white. I, yeah. I, I don't I feel like it's kind of iffy to call something made by two white men an anime. Okay. So if there was like a white guy born in Japan and he was totally oh raised in Japan, and he happened to become an I'd anime fine. director. fine. I'd consider that an anime. <laughs> point, point, me, point me to that example, I, please. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Freaking, uh, I'm trying to think of other good. We had a whole anime episode. I don't know if I could uh, get you into Hunter Hunter, based on what you said so far, like the Shonen stuff, you uh-huh. know, like the Dragon Ball Z charging up boys. I've That's never not- really been into that or like Naruto or any of that. I've, yeah. I've, I, I, it's, I've, I've, I'm kind of snobby in that I've only really like been attracted to like the two animes that like snobs are like, oh, it's so much more than other anime, you know, that type of I, shit. I mean, to, it is true to an extent because um, 
I mean, especially with Naruto and Bleach and Hunter Hunter, it is very formulaic. And that's right. part of it. The part of why people like it so much is because of the formula. Um, every every shonen anime is to some degree your character gets stronger. Your main character, who's some sort of doofy, low intelligence, but high willpower uh, protagonist like Goku or Naruto or Monkey D. Luffy, they, you know, keep ascending through the power of friendship until mm -hmm. they defeat the final big guy at the end. Sure. Um, I, I guess I was planning on, I was thinking, I'm, I, I think because I've enjoyed Cowboy Bebop so much, I want to watch, I don't know the creator's name off the top of my head, but I want to watch his other stuff. Like I know he did samurai shampoo or whatever yeah and yeah he, that shit's great the then he has a more is. recent one so i i want to watch those and then they're adding all of the evangelion rebuilds which i've never watched including the newest one those mm -hmm. go up on like amazon fairly soon so i'm probably gonna watch those as well ava's so, good i because i've only like... i i've only watched the original series in the end of evangelion yeah i uh those are those are all i mean they're great wait so um I guess because you already had like a taste for film or an eye for like abstraction before you came in, like a lot of the end of Evangelion is very polarizing for a lot of people. As yeah, I mean, final I two episodes. No, I mean, I mean, it's definitely like polarizing, but uh, both the end of the TV show and the end of Evangelion, because they're yeah. both kind of abstract in their own ways. I think um, they're both utterly brilliant. No, they're great. Yeah, they're great. But they're definitely, you know, they're not straightforward in terms of like a narrative. Um, but I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, I've watched enough film and film with kind of, you know, experimental or, you know, abstract elements that I felt like I was able to enjoy it, even if I afterwards I kind of read through some some different you know essays and interpretations of it and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's a very Freudian yeah. anime. Extreme. Yeah. I think like if there's any one philosophy that informs it's like uh, Evangelion, well, Freud, and, for sure, and and Jung, I'd say too. Yeah, yeah, I the whole unconscious this. iceberg shit. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like the whole like Hidekiano, like you know the backstory. He wasn't yeah. in psychoanalysis at the time, and he was very which depressed. I I well I I really I you know I really get the I I appreciate that whole aspect of the show, the whole depression aspect because I really relate to that. Oh yeah, me too. So did and um, everyone that watches anime. You if you were if you if you're watching anime, you're probably <laughs> depressed. Yeah, or, <laughs> or 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 were in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not true. Well. I don't know. There is that extremely escapist element to anime, more so yeah. than other cartoons, where it's like someone pointed out once that American cartoon design is all about making your characters look as horrible and ugly as possible. Like, look at Big Mouth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. awful looking. <laughs> yeah, grotesque. Whereas, yeah. With anime, it's about making the most picturesque, you know, well-appointed, uh, you know, sure. innocent, nubile, you know, submissive and breedable type person out there. Sure. Uh, and so I think the, those relative forms of escape or how something conveys fantasy, maybe there's something to that. Or the fact that, you know, something like My Little Pony is popular because the imagery it presents is sort of soft Ideal. yeah and yeah. you know it's not it's not harsh it doesn't subject you to uh like, like what's an example of like an animation that like mtv's the head or like you don't watch that for comfort i don't even know what that is I, uh, it's great the old so mtv used to do a lot of great animation they used yeah to, and i know they did like you know obviously like beavis and butthead and 
they did Daria, right? They did do Daria. And Clone High was MTV, right? It was MTV, which they're bringing okay. back. They're bringing back. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, although it's very funny. Speaking of Clone High, uh, one of the Clone High guys, uh, I think it was Chris, it was either it was either Phil Lord or Chris Miller, but one of them was very Gusano, said some Gusano Yeah, shit. I, I remember seeing that. But yeah. that was like a while. Was that recently or was that wasn't that a couple of years ago? It was both ago? recently and a while ago. Oh, so I saw said, the a while ago one and I guess yeah. I didn't see the recent one. He said something recently which made people dig it up at the past. It was like, uh, About- so the Lego movie guy, it turns out, is a bit of like uh, uh, like an American propagandist against Cuba. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, what you get. It's not like... It's not like a, a career ruiner. It's not like a Gremlinian no. thing or something. No, like definitely not. I mean, in turn, you know, I, I mean, I'm not taken to every, you know, it, it's an American falling to American imperial propaganda is not the most surprising thing yeah. or, or, you know, you know, demeaning thing. But uh, yeah, it's not great either. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you do when people you like have bad takes? You know? That's, that's a good, you know, that's. That's the ultimate, that's the ultimate uh, struggle. And I struggle with that in film. I struggle with, uh, I, I, sometimes I feel like hypocritical or, or, you know, like I'm being stupid because I'll, I'll go on record as saying I've never watched a single, uh, either Woody Allen nor Roman Polanski movie. Um, that's fair. I mean, Woody Allen, my, you're not, you're not missing out. You're not missing out. <laughs> what Roman no, Polanski? I've, I've definitely, as a big horror fan and as like a big genre fan, I've definitely, you know, wished a lot of times been tempted to watch, you know, Chinatown or Rosemary's Baby. But my problem is, and people are constantly, you know, I, I say this and I'm constantly get pushback, which I understand and appreciate. First off, I want to say this is just a me thing. Like I'm not casting judgment on someone who does. It's completely yeah. fine. But my issue is like, you know, I, I hear that, oh, all these other people worked on it and you're dismissing their work, which is fair. But at the same time, I have an issue with watching something when the main driving creative force and worldview that the and themes that that piece imbues and like inhabits is like created by someone who raped a child. Like yeah. I, I have I just feel I feel like I can't I don't want to I don't want to in in imbibe in their perspective. Yeah, I also think it's like the fact that you're supposed to take them seriously as movies, you're supposed to take them seriously as real art, because for some reason, like I'll catch myself like humming R. Kelly's ignition to myself and it won't cross my mind. as like, Oh, this is a song by a very bad person because there's no like emotional heft or weight to just humming ignition. There's Uh no, like I haven't ascribed any part of my soul to this. Whereas, you know, you see like a really good movie in like a really good condition. Like you see Chinatown, which is an utterly brilliant movie made by a a rapist. Uh, And let's say you really connect with it. You've got to go, oh no, how do I reconcile this stuff? Um, But as, as, before we move on uh, with Chinatown, I, I don't know if you've heard it. There was an episode of my podcast where I did a bit with Austin where I talked about because I've, I haven't seen Chinatown and I'm like, I'm aware of like the general, like, you know, I know it's a noir and it has to do with like Orange County or something. Uh, <laughs> and there, and like, a, and like there's weird rape stuff in it itself, which is weird. Uh, yeah. But I, I, in my head, I like to, uh, I like to just 
imagine that Chinatown is just like two hours of Jack Nicholson doing like a really racist, offensive, like Chinese <laughs> accent. Or like, and, and in that it's like, I like to do like a like fake scenario in my head, like Jack Nicholson shows up on set the first day and he's like, He's like, hey, Roman, uh, I am ready. I'm ready to ready to perform. I've got my accent all figured out. And Roman Valencia's like, what are you talking about? I was like, you know, you want me to do like a, a little a Chinese accent? And I brought these big goofy glasses and buck teeth and a rice farmer hat. And it's like, no, what are you talking about? I, I didn't read the script. I just assumed. You said it was Chinatown. Are you telling me there's no Chinese people in this I, set? I thought I was going to be doing like a Mickey Rooney breakfast You're at telling. Tiffany's thing. <laughs> You're telling me I watched all those Bruce Lee movies for nothing. Yeah. My, my Jack Nicholson impression is do the scariest like voice you can while trying to sound as friendly as you can. Right. Hey, how's it going there? Got a smile like that. Yeah. You act like me. That's a lie. That's a freaking lie. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry to enter. Oh, oh my God. Are you okay? Uh, yeah, you dying? I, I ruined my shit trying to talk like Jack. Uh, sorry to interrupt you with my. Uh, no, I haven't. It's uh, funny. It's a funny. It's a funny. Uh, intentionally Sorkin, or uh, intentionally or unintentionally because of Sorkin. Well, it's well. I don't know. Sorkin can crack an occasional. joke. It's funny when Sorkin cracks a joke that actually makes you laugh, which he's capable right. of doing. Because uh, right. you know he is kind of a talented writer you know you rag a lot on sorkin but he is able to create bon mots that a sure. lot of fucking people that consider themselves witty respond to which yeah. requires some measure of talent i guess one of my favorite things uh within in college in my dramatic writing program was uh one of my professors equally like not for like the the like political reasons that i do but just on like a pure writing level thought you hated sork he hates Thor sorkin and thinks sorkin like accurately is like a self self-obsessed hack and and we would constantly team up on this other student that we you know it was like it was just like fun riffing we weren't actually yeah. like fucking with him but like he's like a really like into sorkin guy and he like loves the west wing and i think he was yeah. like he's like into like pod save america and stuff uh, and he's oh, so he wow. was like really into sorkin and me and this professor would just constantly like fuck with him about like how bad Sorkin was. <laughs> has he has he not seen the we got him Osama bin Laden scene from the newsroom? Oh my god, the, the airplane. Uh, Ladies the and gentlemen, honor. it's my honor to tell you that we just killed Osama bin Laden. And, and everyone stands stands up and claps. Uh, my favorite fun fact about the killing of Osama bin Laden is that uh, he didn't actually get killed. It's a conspiracy. He's that that is true, but also that sales of the song "Party in the USA" went up when it. Oh happened. God! <laughs> I there's I love it when a whole country comes together to celebrate the wanton murder of uh, <laughs> of a guy who we all hate. A guy who was uh, who was ridiculously tall and should have been hooping for yeah, all for all yeah. by all accounts, uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's boy, sort of opportunity. Yeah, uh, uh, what have I? I saw you know what I saw recently. Uh, we see it has just opened back up in Toronto, and uh -huh. I used this opportunity to see Jungle Cruise. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I saw a guy online, I saw a funny review from someone I like who said, Jungle Cruise, not even worth the five minute wait. And then he responded, I'm not talking about the ride. <laughs>
for, for um, I'll, I'll start by saying I really love the ride at Disney World. Like problem, problemat, problematic element. Like I mean, it they and they just changed it, but there were like a couple moments where it was like, oh, you know, we had there's like a tribal guy with a spear, and like you know, there's some iffy kind of like 1950s stylized, you know, mm-hmm. Africans. But like the majority of Jungle Cruise, are you aware of like what the ride is? Is it anything like the plot of the movie where there are uh, haunted conquistadors? or no it's not at all okay. jungle cruise as i don't know if it was originally this I, I i can't remember i've watched a lot of those like disney ride history stuff but i can't remember about jungle cruise but when i went and for the you know for the most of like the last you know 30 40 years jungle cruise is a ride that's like intention it's almost like a parody of like a theme park ride where basically you're going through on this boat on like a canal and you're seeing all these little dioramas with like animatronic animals and the whole thing is your 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 skipper on the boat is telling like really corny shitty like jokes of like oh they uh, have that in the movie that's yeah well like at one point he's like and next up we're passing a temple and you know the name of this temple it's the shirley temple and it's like really like really intentionally just like awful like puns and shit which i love because it's almost like this commentary on like theme park rides where it's like if when you went through pirates of the caribbean it the the person controlling the ride was just constantly like sarcastically like talking about how shitty it is and like the whole thing at, at disney and is like the the person controlling the ride they can like do their own kind of like riffs and stuff right, right and like right. sometimes they can get away with saying stuff that's a little risque if like there's no kid on the ride and so it's like this really kind of funny goofy like tongue-in-cheek thing but uh i'm assuming the movie's a lot more like uh that's in the movie that's funny you mentioned that that's there's a scene dedicated entirely to the rock telling corny jokes to a group of uh wealthy dowagers well see i would have enjoyed if the movie itself was like an airplane style just like the entire thing is like a not taking itself seriously like farce no, it's like, played very straight. It's see, not, there's no see, meta I, aspect. I would have enjoyed like a meta, like, you know, intentionally shitty, like, you know, Jungle Cruise movie. Yeah, no, it's very, I mean, what's, I, the thing is like, I don't recommend anybody see it. It's not a great movie, but mm-hmm. it's interesting and it's worth talking about because like you said, with the Jungle Cruise ride, it has to contend with colonialism now. It has sure, to contend exactly. with adjusting its previous assumptions. And so, the movie makes it very clear that the rock the protagonist is you know he's a friend to the indigenous people in the okay. amazon yeah but there's also a scene in the movie where they just a whole village of them just die in droves while protecting the european protagonists oh no so and like they're not like the 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 person who's cast as the leader of the indigenous people is a mexican lady like a <laughs> white mexican lady so it's like uh yeah not not yeah not great but uh yeah, and, I, I see. What you oh, mean. yeah, and also like the other thing that they Disney did in advertising is our first out gay character. Even though they say was, that every month. <laughs> yeah, even there was Lafu supposedly was out gay because he made goo goo eyes at a at a guy at a dude. Beauty. Then there was uh, there was like that person from that fantasy Pixar movie that no one saw. Yeah, uh, and uh, then there was like hidden gay character in Frozen. But in this one, yeah. there is. There is like a scene where they're like, he's gay, folks. Don't you get they say everything but I, I like to have sex with men. So Jack Whitehall plays the gay guy. Disney was like, we're fucking tired of everyone saying, oh, that character we said is gay isn't outwardly gay enough. So now we're gonna have a character, you know, he walks on a scene and say, Hey boys, who wants <laughs> yeah. who wants their cock sucked? 
<laughs> it's like yummer, PG, yummer, yummer. In a, in a PG kids movie. Bloges, just bloges, 10,000 bloges. Yeah, and before anyone cancels me, reminder, I'm a gay trans woman, so I'm allowed to do as many offensive gay and trans stereotype jokes that I want. I am a gay man. We're covered on the queer jokes. Yeah. Uh, but I pass for straight, so I don't get I, I don't get to do as much. <laughs> uh, that's a weird thing, having having straight passing privilege, which is absolutely a thing. Uh, yeah. And something that I didn't want to acknowledge was a thing because I kept wanting to like say the word faggot with total and reckless abandon. <laughs> yeah. And then I said it around the wrong person and I felt bad. <laughs> didn't you just tell them, oh, I'm gay. You just fucking nah, it high doesn't work. Them. It doesn't then, work. That's even better though, because then you can high road them because they're like, you can't say that. And then you go, I'm gay. Fuck yeah. you, straighty. <laughs> no, it was another gay person. Ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> thought I was straight. It wouldn't have worked out like that. Well, then you just bring up the, you can play the, you're Jewish, right? You can play the anti-Semitism. There card. you go. The Keir Starmer card, the, the Netanyahu card, the, the Eve Barlow card, the Eve Fartlow Exactly. Card. Exactly. Oh, that's anti-Semitic. Just fa- because I've, I've never, you- I, I've never actually heard her like talk, you know, I've only ever seen like screenshots or pictures of her. And the fact that she's Scottish like blows my mind because she's so solidly in my mind as like a, you know, like New York, like lib type yeah, of a person. Yeah, like, can you yeah. believe what they're saying about Palestinians? You know, those Palestinian boys, they grow up. Yeah, they grow up okay. I, yeah. I the fact that she's Scottish blows my mind. Like yeah. I didn't even know there are Jewish people in in in, in any of the United Kingdom. <laughs> yeah, I thought they were banned. That's how I reacted when I found out that Armando Iannucci was Scottish. Who's Armando Iannucci? <laughs> the creator of The Thick of It and like uh, um, In the Loop and Veep. He's, oh really? Uh, Wait, yeah. he's Scottish? Yeah, he's a Scottish. I thought he was Italian or something. No, well, he just hasn't. He is from. He is Italian. But oh. not unlike his fellow, the guy that he casts in the thick of it, Peter Capaldi, he is an Italian Scotsman, which huh. is a very funny thing to be. Mamma hmm. mia! Better yeah. get that red sauce. I wow. ate some good spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's funny. Yeah, very funny things to be. Um, yeah, so Jungle Cruise. Uh, is there a yeah, giant? Is there a giant beam that shoots into the sky in the third act that they have to there, stop? is not a giant beam there is it's very much trying to recapture the magic of pirates of the caribbean oh Um, yeah but the problem with it is pirates of the caribbean is an exceedingly generic movie and the only reason why it was popular is because johnny depp defied every executive and did did like his weird (laughs) well and and i want to say i mean not to i feel like i feel like some credit should go to gore verbinski because i feel like he's a decent director that that knows how to do some some fun action and stuff like that so yeah i'm a i'm a gore fan and then and then and then like uh i don't even know who jungle cruise is directed by some it's directed by the orphan guy (laughs) the orphan yeah remember orphan the orphanage no, no, not the orphanage. Not, not the, the or- orphan. Orphan that movie with the little girl who turns out to be an old person who yes. looks like a kid. Yes. What? That is, that, that is directed by that person. Huh? Directed by that person. And, you know, it's just, I'm sure what that means is that he's just directing a bunch of people in front of a green screen. Green screen. Yeah. That movie because... looked entirely green screen from the trailers. It's so, like not even real at all. The problem with the, that's another, that's another thing. I don't mind everything looking fake as fuck. Because, you know, I, if it's a, for an aesthetic. Yeah. 
like I'm a huge fan of Speed Racer when I did a podcast episode on it. Yes. Uh, and I love that, which that movie is definitely all green screen, 100%, but it's for a reason. It's to look stylized and crazy and cartoony. I think this movie almost gets there. One thing oh. that I will say in its favor is that um, its color grading is really good. And, oh, okay. and it has a type of color grading that I'd like to see more in especially mainstream Disney or Marvel movies, which is okay. it's really bright. And That's it has good. a really consistent color sheen of gold and green because they're in oh. the jungle. Mm. And so that makes sense. Yeah, a lot but, of those movies, Marvel and, D- and uh, Disney end up being very flat, desaturated, kind of grayish concrete look. Yeah. And so that's sort of that's sort of where I'm at is just it was visually arresting just on the color grading alone, only in contrast to the every other mainstream Disney property. Mm. Um, I don't think that's enough to recommend it. But yeah. a lot of the CGI vistas that it manages to pull off look pretty good. I don't well, mind. Nice. Yeah, I don't mind CGI when it's used for like background work. Like there are great shots of like um, 19th century London, not uh, mm. early 20th century London. That's are clearly all CGI, but it's very meticulous, very good looking. Cool. Uh, there's a lot of jungle shots that are a lot of jungle backgrounds that are very meticulous and good looking in the same way that they're just modern versions of matte paintings. Like when yeah, you watch yeah. an old movie and you see like a really nice matte painting, you can. Yeah. I hate people who, I hate people who paint all CGI as like bad because yeah. like a lot of movies, like for, for instance, like all the CGI like Fincher uses, cause his movies are laden with CGI in places you would never even know. Like, yeah. you know, obviously the big one, the, all the San Francisco stuff from Zodiac. Yeah. Uh, his best CGI. looking movie by far. I yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I love when CGI is used like basically like as modern equivalent of like you know map paintings or you know to create things that you couldn't practically create uh mm-hmm. but so yeah i like when it's used for 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 good you know purposeful reasons uh and i think and when they bother to build a set because there's like a brawl scene in like a, in a brazilian bar mm-hmm. and the production design is like the costuming especially is like i want to know who the costume designer was of that movie because they like knocked it out of the fucking park the costume uh, designer was told, we want The Rock in the tightest clothes possible. <laughs> I, I remember that from the trailer being like, Jesus Christ, how can he move in those clothes? They look fucking skin tight. He's wearing some beautiful vests. Yeah, um, vests and, and co- collared shirt, tightly buttoned. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but the, the it, so the movie, what I will say, what's it, it looks different from other Disney movies that are going on currently, which is... I don't know, not necessarily something to recommend it, but something that's interesting about it. And it how it fumbles the ball with colonialism is also very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the other thrust of the movie is that the main female protagonist, Emily Blunt, is a girl boss, right? Oh, and she really? wears pants. And so The Rock uh, is always commenting, oh, just never seen a lady with pants before. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, but she's headstrong. And sure. you know, she's she's not like the other girls. Sure. You know, she's a pickpocket. As uh, well, she she knows how to she knows how to pick a luck, and uh, the the denouement is her finally being accepted into the Academy of Science, which was male only up to that uh, point, and then rejecting it, sure, because uh, she's a girl boss. She but it still no rings society. hollow because a bunch of indigenous people still were mowed down, murdered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Um, Who are the antagonists? There, no. there are three sets evil of antagonists. Jung- the evil Jungle Cruise people. Um, there are an Evil Jungle Cruise people. It's Jesse Plemons playing oh, a oh World boy. War I Nazi. 
You know how like for, when, said it, yeah no I know it's exactly yeah. how they make World War One Germans Nazis Vegas basically like in yeah. Wonder Woman they, they did it in Wonder Woman too and so Jesse Plemons just has a very inconsistent Bavarian accent in does youth. he wear the pointy uh, helmet he doesn't wear the pointy helmet but he has Shit. a floppy Hitler haircut um, ah, okay. which is, seems explicitly designed to look like Hitler and sure, Jesse sure. Plemons is chewing the scenery he's very oh, funny lo- he's it. great I'm sure he does he does a great job in his turban accent is bad it's it's a bad it's a very inconsistent that accent. sounds that sounds fun though yeah no i love is, a i love a campy bad german yeah uh jungle cruise is something to hit up you know when it comes out on disney plus in like sure or, something. or i don't know maybe i'll go to like the five dollar like matinee that one of my local yeah. theaters does yeah just don't don't pay full price for it whatever sure, you do. Sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah i think I do like those. I, I do also think it's interesting because it's a big budget Disney movie that's not a Marvel movie. And mm-hmm. what was the last one of those? Like, what was the last big budget Disney oh, movie that was not um, a Marvel movie? I'm sure it's another one of these, like, uh, either ride adaptation or live action remakes. Like, uh, you know, well, Mulan, I guess. Oh, was... yeah. But those movies, ugh, they tank regularly. Or yeah. it's not, it's not, yeah. But this is, when was the last, like, no, I guess you're right. It is all these remake things. Well, the doing. last like ride-based one I'm trying to think of. I mean, there was like was Tomorrow the Bears. Oh yeah, you're right. Tomorrowland. Weird Brad Bird's weird like uh, Ayn Randian, you know, libertarian thing. Yeah. Why does Brad Bird love Ayn Rand so much? I don't know. He he really does though. Yeah. Well, that's what's fun about Incredibles two, which is sort of a middling movie, but as everyone identifies, the villain in Incredibles two is pretty. It's pretty cool sort of signals the problem of what went wrong in the uh, Obama era as well. So did you ever see Incredibles 2? I do, and I remember the villain, but I guess I wasn't thinking critically enough about it. I don't remember exactly what happened. So the, the villain is the lady. Slaver. Yeah. It's the girl boss lady, yes, right? Yes, the girl boss lady, uh, whose brother is Bob Odenkirk, who got right. better. Yes, Hell yeah. thank, thank goodness. Thank the Lord. Lord Bob Oden- I, 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 I loved how Bob Odenkirk's character in that movie legitimately is just like, cgi bob odenkirk CGI, yeah. it's just pixar bob <laughs> odenkirk yeah just took all of his mannerisms well i mean he's great because he, i mean he already kind of looks kind of like well, he's already kind of like a a very cartoony looking guy yeah yeah all those mr show guys all look like they came out of a cartoon sure but uh, yeah so it's the lady and but like so what do you mean point is that she hates superheroes because uh-huh. people become dependent on superheroes and don't okay. think for themselves and the reason why right. their parents died is because their parents were too reliant on superheroes but that to me that is like the struggle in the realization of the obama era where obama Uh, represents the superhero figure and uh the idea is like oh we can take a breather as the populace we don't have to be in politics anymore we can forget about it we can offload all of our problems onto these super competent technocrats sure and the end of that was trump (laughs) <laughs> that uh, was like it all leads back to trump so yeah i think brad bird for for all his randian tendencies he still makes very interesting movies thematically they're not like as like kind of baseline you know boring randian stuff yeah. like the iron giant and, and incredibles are definitely still compelling and, and well made they're, they're good movies enough that you know i feel like it's even if you're not into his randy and stuff they're still worth watching oh yeah well iron giant is like i mean it's still it still dovetails with the sort of a libertarian ethos when the uh, the iron giant is about defying the thing that everyone tells you 
that yeah. you're supposed to do. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you are, I am not a good. Oh, yeah. that's such a good movie. Yeah. Saves everybody. Oh, God. And now, robot. and now the Iron Giant has been bastardized into, as you mentioned in, in one of your, in your Kingdom Hearts yes. episode, Kingdom he's Hearts been the, the weird mascot for, for two different weird media centric properties yeah both ready player one and space jam a new legacy feature very prominent shots of the iron giant careening through a cgi smorgasbord of ip yep uh i didn't i i do want to see space jam when i heard that bugs bunny fucking dies i was like okay Wait, I, I haven't heard that sorry <laughs> I, I all i saw that. all i saw from it is that one clip that was just like the whiplash of of ip where it was like they go from like uh you know they're in like mad max world and they get like roadrunner and yeah. wiley coyote who are in mad max world and then they're in like casablanca all of a sudden yeah. and it's like yosemite sam, sam yeah. is the black sam playing piano and then they're in like uh austin powers yeah. and like tweety and sylvester are in austin powers or something and then and, rick and morty and then rick and morty <laughs> show off like what the fuck uh, like, yeah. like we love references humans yeah. love references but that's the thing is um i people inherently uh recognize that i mean part of the reason why the simpsons were popular and they ushered in a uh, modern age of humor was because the humor was so reference heavy they would just do straight up film parodies and that would be the joke yeah because i think there's something especially in you know our postmodern brains um have you gotten to the darmok episode of tng yet no, but I you mentioned it on that episode, right? Yeah, on your podcast. Dharma, I, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to it because you mentioned it. I haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah, but it definitely is very prescient in that it's about an alien species that communicates entirely in idioms, right? Yeah. And um so that and that's where we're very much moving. You know, it, we we use references as the shorthand for these vast uh concepts that take yeah. up spots in our brain. And when you click on the little trigger word that uh implements the reference this whole blooming effect of dopamine happens in your brain oh yeah suddenly reminded I'm, of that world i mean i'm not immune to it i mean yeah uh <laughs> yeah not at all i uh, I'll, I'll save something for after the podcast that i want to ask you about because i don't know if you want to talk about it on here oh no go ahead go ahead go ahead is this about well, is this about arthur yeah it's arthur based <laughs> okay so um this will be this will be if you're this deep into the podcast well we can we can we can encourage people to go listen to my podcast by not telling them the okay. the reference point well, we will encourage people listen to the episode of explaining to austin that i am on it's no, it's, it's on old. old m night Shyamalan's old and it's yeah. def, it has it has Alex of House of, or Jack Dump of House of Decline in the yeah. title. Uh, so go watch that to find out a secret fun, fun fact about secret how Alex weird fun fact. is connected to not only Arthur, but Steven Crowder. Yes, uh, it's it's because I'm Canadian. No, it's more interesting than that. <laughs> but uh, uh, okay, but on Arthur, like obviously Arthur did a lot of, has done the ending now, apparently. Mm -hmm. uh, you're no fault of our own. It's all right, it's all right. <laughs> uh th they've done a lot of parodies in it and i know as a kid i enjoyed those parodies one yeah. recent one i uh, recent arthur i don't know if you've seen you know they did a recent episode in like the last like five to ten years that was like 2001 a space odyssey like hal reference oh that's that's pretty the, the classroom for kids the classroom gets a smart board 
um, that's called like PAL or something like that, where it's like, and it's like a direct HAL reference where it's like, basically they become too uh, like reliant on the smart board to the point where it's like, it has false infer like some, somehow like the facts installed in it, one of them is false. And like, basically they end up like having to realize like, oh, we need to do the learning on our own and not just be reliant on this one thing. And it ends in like the board, like malfunctioning and singing Daisy and breaking down. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. I, I mean, that's like, uh, but that's the thing is like to a kid, they're just going to see a great story. They've never yeah. seen that before. And when they come to 2001 and Space Odyssey later, I mean, that's how it worked with me and the Simpsons. That's the reason why I saw Clockwork Orange at age eight yeah. with my grandma, sure. <laughs> because they kept showing Simpsons references to Clockwork Orange. Oh, Bart keeps getting droplets in his eyes, you know. Wait, you saw like Clockwork Orange with your grandma? Yeah, at age eight. Oh, Jesus uh, that was Christ. Like, um, I didn't know what was happening. You know, I, she rented it from the video store. She didn't know what it was. And there I, was a graphic rape scene. <laughs> yeah, but I, well, I didn't know what was happening. I just thought they were wrestling, you know. <laughs> so I wasn't traumatized. Him walk, running around with a giant penis statue didn't. It, that was very funny to me. And it changed. Ah, penis. <laughs> and well, the death isn't very graphic either. No, it's very, animation. yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's very, uh, yeah, it's not, there's no blood or anything. And it's weird because The Simpsons had prepared me for it with parody. Uh -huh. uh, like it was less shocking to me than it should have been probably. <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's another fun fact about me. Arthur uh, had that, had that really interesting, um, oh boy i'm dying i had that interesting episode where it has like multiple cartoon parodies where they parody like south park and beavis and butthead and mm -hmm. a couple other things that i can't remember yeah that was interesting but it's like when you're a kid especially and you get references to something else that's you like, feel that shit is mind smart. blowing. Yeah, yeah you feel smart as hell sure well because it is like with that humor it is a large assumption in order to get the joke you're assuming this person has already seen this other piece of pop culture and internalized what is funny about it so yeah. it is it is in sort of you know whenever there there's there's a classic scene in a comedy when two people something extreme has happened and two people look at each other from across the room with a look of silent understanding yeah and i always or there's a you know that dave chappelle joke where it's like the plane was hijacked and I looked at another black guy and we looked at each other in solidarity because we know that they don't take black hostages. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so, yeah, I always think that sort of the silent understanding is always something that's very um, funny and joyful. Sure. And uh, so using references is a very easy way to do that to people, which is why you become over-reliant on them. Sure. Uh, and so, yeah, and now we've turned into this orgiastic IP nonsense where, you know, the Iron Giants is, is having sex with uh, the Minions or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Minions are universal entertainment, though. Oh, Wait, no, gotta, that's, I have no idea. Gotta love the Minions. They're, they're old now. They're old news now. Nobody's yeah, they're, about they're old news. No I don't know what new news is, but it's not the Minions. Yeah. It's the Trolls from Trolls and Trolls 2 World Tour. Ooh, those are really those are really fucking popular like i uh I, I think you're accurate about that i think that is the current kids franchise which has dominated it's just pop most. stars voicing cartoons singing pop songs they love it that was the glee formula and it worked out for glee i really i i hate the uh voice actors getting shafted to have popular 
um, actors voice characters. Like I know recently, apparently there was some big controversy where like someone who's like voiced Lola Bunny in a lot of things in the last like 20 years, voiced her in Space Jam and did all this work. And then like after she'd done all this work, it was all thrown out to bring yeah. in Zendaya to voice it. To, and to she have didn't, like four lines of dialogue. And she, did, she didn't even get like credit in the, in the final movie or anything. Ah. That's, that's fucking it's, uh, that's really a shame well because uh, I mean we know why it happens it oh of mean course it should happen yeah uh, but there used to be a golden age of film voice acting when you know your your Billy Wests and uh, your mm-hmm. Jess Harnells and your Tress McNeils would get top billing in an animated movie yeah uh, and that has that has gone away it's always oh. very funny to me that Jerry Orbach was the voice of Lumiere in, wait uh, he was yeah jerry orbeck oh i don't think i ever realized that <laughs> yeah that's it's just a weird fact huh yeah hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> so we're coming at the end of our usual 90 minutes uh yep. do you have any parting thank you for so much for being on the show today Peyton. oh it's Peyton. fun i, I you being here. with as someone with a very like structured show where we have like a goal uh of like what to accomplish and talk about in the episode it was very fun just to have a just a fun, you know, tangential to tangent riff. Uh, uh, but no, I don't particularly, I mean, I, you know, I can do my plugs and stuff, but in terms of actual topics, I don't have anything. All right. Do your plugs then. What are you plugging? Um, well, uh, just Twitter is a great, go to my Twitter because from there you can find everything else. My Twitter is at uh, Peyto Brock. So just Peyton, but without the N and then Brock. And that's Peyton with an E, P-E-Y-T-O, B-R-O-C-K. Um, and from there, of course, you can find my podcast that's on all the main podcast places. It's called Explaining to Austin. And in the show, it's basically me explaining to my friend Austin, I watch movies or shows or whatever. And then I explain it to him who hasn't seen whatever I've you know mm-hmm. watched. And, you know, we do riffs and fun other stuff as well. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's fun. Um, I really like the Captain EO episode. <laughs> that's a very funny episode. That's a fun one with a lot of fun uh, backstory on that fun experience. Fun short film. Um, let's see what else. If you go to my Twitter, you can go to my like link tree link that's there. And like there I have like links to everything like uh you know, I, I've dabbled with music in the past, so I have a, I have a band camp or whatever. I recently, my mate, one of the things I've been doing recently, I've been writing, doing some freelance writing for Collider. I've been doing some like movie analysis and reviews. So yeah, I saw you had an article on Slumber Party Massacre. Yeah, so I did. A, I just had one of that released last week on Slumber Party Massacre and how it's kind of right at the height of the slasher genre in the 80s was already kind of subverting the tropes for you know through a feminist lens i'll have an article coming out this coming week on the film from 2015 uh demon the polish film demon and how it basically uses a possession to commentate on like poland's like kind of national denial of guilt in terms of the holocaust which Mm. is it's really interesting film so check out those articles you can read my articles without having seen the films because they're kind of geared towards almost like encouraging people to watch the movies um, so check those out if you like those kind of things. Follow me on uh, Twitter uh, and find all my links for the podcast and other stuff there. Oh, hell yeah. Thank you for being today. I actually, Stephen had prepared some questions, uh, but the conversation was flowing so well that I didn't get to any of them. Oh, shit. So Sorry. We'll have that, 
No, that was my fault. That's my that's my fault as a producer. I apologize to Steven later. But thank you so much for being on the show, Peyton. Uh, listen course. to explain to Austin. Uh, read all of her stuff. It's great. Uh, and have a great day. Thank you.